0: Good day, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are. Just wait a few moments until everyone drops in. I think we can get started now. So I'm really happy to be with you this evening. I've been, to use a a local expression or a... American expression. I've been chomping at the bit um, all day, wanting to uh, meet with you. I know you've been getting uh, many wonderful teachings about the third foundation of mindfulness. You know, really, all the foundations of mindfulness are equal mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feeling tone, mindfulness of mind, chitta, heart mind and uh, and then finally mindfulness of dhammas or mindfulness of the dharma. And uh, particularly, especially in Western culture, uh, mindfulness of the mind, of moods, emotions, thoughts, images, the mental objects, all that is included within citta the state of the mind that is um, being experienced and that teaching really in early buddhism was mostly focalized on uh, knowing for oneself uh, whether the mind was inclining toward greed And I describe that as noticing when you're trying to make something happen. That's greed in the mind. Knowing when there is resistance or contentiousness, ill will, it's hatred in the mind or, or, or aversion. So greed, aversion, and then knowing when there's delusion in the mind. That was the heart of the third foundation of mindfulness. It's morphed over the years. The heart in early Buddhism was knowing when the mind is expansive, knowing when it's contracted, knowing when it's in a state of greed, knowing when it's in a state of aversion, knowing when it's complete, knowing when it's incomplete, knowing when it's steady, knowing when it's unsteady. So Often it's opposites. But the heart of the matter was, knowing when there's greed, knowing when there's hatred, Knowing when there's ignorance or, or delusion. And I'm not sure if any of the others today uh, unraveled the word delusion, but I I like to translate delusion, and I'm gonna I'm doing it this way for a particular reason tonight. Translate delusion as not seeing with clear perception. Delusion means not seeing clearly and the basic delusion the basic way we experience delusion is the mind is just not very clear it's kind of dull foggy uh, deluded opaque in a way but there's a deeper meaning to the word uh, delusion which is the t- two sides of it is the lack of clear perception of things as they actually are. So delusion usually means that we we somehow are, mis- are, are experiencing things with a mistaken perception. And the number one most mistaken perception that we experience our experience with is we experience it through the lens the deluded view that whatever is arising is me, is my, is mine, is personal. Because on a conventional domain, anything that happens to any of us as individuals is personal. But when we shift to a more meditative perspective, a meditative experience of life, what we conventionally call personal, if we looked more closely, we would not necessarily find anything personal at all. We invited you to experience, explore the elements the first couple days, earth, air, fire, water, nothing personal about them. If you examine this body from head to toe, You would not find anything personal in this body you would find those elements you would find blood uh, sweat you'd find in fact in the teachings part of mindfulness of the body is exploring what they call the 32 parts of the body and people contemplate them Uh, uh, blood pus I don't I can't name them all right now because my intention is to do something a little different. But the, the point is that when greed is in the mind when we're wanting something to um, when we're when there's a desire for something to be um, other than the way it is when we're wanting to make something happen, even with our meditation practice in the moment that we're meditating we're really not meditating. We're actually caught in a state of greed. It's like we're, we're saying, we're basically saying, as I mentioned the other night around the hindrance of desire, saying, unless, this, unless I get to a particular place, then I can't really have relief. So we, we're literally in a state of tension, a state of suspended relief. For some reason, I just thought just now of this wonderful passage from the famous uh, Western Zen teacher, um, writer named Alan Watts. Maybe many of you have read Alan Watts, but Alan Watts in a beautiful passage says, said, um, when we make music, the point of the music is not to reach the end of the composition. Because if that were the purpose of music, then only the fastest players would be the best. As when we, when we dance, the point of dancing is not to arrive in a particular place on the floor as in taking a journey. When we dance, the dance itself is the point. When we make music, we make, making music is the point. And the same is true of meditation. The point of our practice is always arrived at in the present moment. So if you are practicing with greed in the mind, you're really not meditating. He said, he went on to say, and this, for those of you who have been exposed to the famous beat generation, the 1950s, early 60s, he says the point of practice is to dig the present, to groove with the eternal now, and to see that the point where it's at is simply here and now. So why would I name this right now? Why would we need to know that, why would we need to especially attuned to whether there's greed in the mind, aversion in the mind or delusion in the mind? Because in in the Buddha's own realization and everything he taught came out of what he realized from his own practice, he saw that these three tendencies of mind delusion greed aversion these three he called the three poisons that they color our perception in such a way to uh, create a feeling of distress and dissatisfaction even though they may be driven by sincere um, desires to to learn to have relief to be free But they actually become they're they're really the general hindrances. And I think it's worthwhile to to look at what we're actually training in the practice and I know you were introduced today to the practice of rain. And maybe some of you weren't on the calls that rain was offered, but a, a very dear friend of mine, a colleague named Michelle McDonald had, a, had a, an epiphany in the middle of a long practice period because she, like many of us from our own experience and working with other people, saw that, that most people did not know how to meet their, uh, their emotions, didn't know how to meet all the different objects of meditation, didn't know how to meet our life as it's presenting itself. So it's not just dis- it's not just on the cushion or doing practice. It's any time when something presents itself. What is, what is the point um, of practice? What allows us to uh, to experience our life and not add to it any excess stress? So when she was trying to explore and and help other people be able to meet their emotions, their moods, and even their sensations. It's mostly been focused over the years on on moods and mental states, states of the heart and states of mind. She noticed that that the quality of mindful attention that really inherently what mindful attention actually is, or what happens when we are truly mindful, when we are experiencing something directly, non superficially, and in a sustained way, which I, I think I spoke of the first day direct, face to face, intimate, non superficial, sustained. That's the qualities of mindfulness. But she also began to see that there are other qualities that are an inseparable whole that if teased apart could actually give us a flavor of what is the quality needed to be able to meet our experience in a way that's non reactive. In a way that is not in order for something to happen that would just be greed in the mind not in order to work through something not in order to get to the end of the rainbow not in order to heal even that isn't the point of meditation the point of meditative awareness is to see clearly how things have come to be what's actually happening and what happens to it when you notice it what is the characteristics of the experience being noticed with complete um, non-interfering, non-judgmental, non-contentious, non-greedy awareness. Because it's out of that that complete openness to our experience, that just shining the light of attention on our experience, that we're able to understand it. Not understand it in a historical sense, although historical understandings and insights emerge naturally from the practice. But when I say understand, understand the nature of that experience, how that experience emerges, how it takes shape in the mind and body, and how it fades away. And how, because it arises, because it fades away, and and it arises and fades away by itself, It cannot be by its nature be mine. It cannot be me. It does not define me. And it is, so it's both, it is, it is impermanent. It's changing. It is not something you can hold on to as a reliable um, place of rest because it's changing. And because it arises and passes, it it, it is not self-defining. It's not me. It has no substance to it. That is the point of experiencing meditatively anything that enters the field of awareness. But because with emotions especially, because with emotions, most of us So go so quickly to greed in the mind toward problem solving toward fixing and very quickly an experience gets co opted by our identity becomes identified with as mine. And I always wants to have a problem to solve I think the organizing principle of most of what the Buddha called Sakaya Ditti identity view. The view of ourself that plays through our mind. That's not who you actually are. It's an imaginary version of you. But the view of ourself that plays in our mind, it's a functional one. It's useful. It's great for storytelling, for communication, but it doesn't ultimately define you. The story of self, but the story of self organizes itself around uh, around a sense of me. I think I've talked about this a little bit, a sense of me who has come from the past, who's passing through here on my way to happiness, to the future. And I'm going to take this experience that I'm having that's really distressing, that's really difficult. And if I work on it properly, I will get to the future where I don't have to experience this. It seems so reasonable. It seems so understandable, but we don't even realize that we're, but that when we're into that, that profound drama of taking what I'm experiencing and getting to the end of the rainbow, we're actually adding tension and we're not actually learning from the experience we're having. We're not experiencing its nature. And the understanding in the Dharma is if you experience the nature of that experience, then you strike right at the root of what causes all of our stresses in our life which is the mist? which is the misperception. This is the fundamental delusion, taking what is impermanent to be permanent, taking what is unreliable because it changes, taking what's unreliable to be reliable and taking what is not myself to be me, which is what we do with each experience as a habit. And because our mind so quickly moves into what the buddha called bhava or becoming going to the to the promised land i don't know if any of this resonates with you but but we're going to in our mind into fix-it mode into becoming mode into success mode into into planning mode into into uh, becoming mode. Because we so quickly move into this view of ourself, we incarnate in our ideas. And then in our in the reactions to those ideas, when feelings arise, when mental states arise, we think about them, we don't feel them. So we have become masters at thinking about our feelings, at analyzing them, interpreting them, studying them, but we've, we're not so well-trained at feeling them. So Michelle Macdonald saw that a way of slowing down the process a little was attuning everyone to the elements of what it actually means to be mindful. The first part of it is, is the R, which is to, with full attention recognize the presently arising state. This is sadness, recognizing it. And then the A, embedded in mindfulness, mindfulness allows it completely. It's only the thinking mind, the analyzing mind, the, the greed in the mind that wants to do something with that. So embedded in mindfulness is both the recognition the acceptance or the allowing of that experience and then the i reign i means investigate it doesn't mean think about it doesn't mean reflect on historically it means investigate the quality of that feeling how is it felt what's it feel like that's one side of investigation that's one part of it the second part of investigation is As i've described already noticing how that experience behaves what's its nature, what happens to that experience when it is known. Now this may not be as juicy initially as thinking about our lives and reflecting and and adding meaning and significance and everything that is makes us connect with each other and you know creates a beautiful world of, of shared experience it's a road less traveled to keep to be that simple to to see with that much clarity to experience something so intimately with no filters of thinking of this or that or meaning, to just really feel that sadness, to really let sad be sad. Because it's not a problem. Because awareness, you've heard this in different flavors already, awareness of sad is not sad. Awareness is just open, recognizing, Accepting or allowing, investigating, and then N. Michelle McDonald, her, her um, insight knowledge is that when there is mindful attention in this very intimate way, the N means non identification or non clinging. You just let that experience. Take its natural course. It arises of itself, it passes away. Not me, not mine, not self. And it is the personalizing, the clinging to the identity view called Sakaya that often sends us into a, um, a, a view of ourselves that something's wrong that something's wrong with me something needs to be fixed something needs to be figured out something needs to be healed and and out of love for ourselves off we go and meanwhile what what our what the conditioning involved in our mind is is we're conditioning uh We're conditioning delusion, conditioning greed, conditioning resistance or aversion to the way things are. And happiness, as I've said before, becomes associated with going. There's a wonderful story. I'm going to go till 730. If it's okay with you, then we'll start sitting. There's a wonderful story that's kind of magical and as many of the stories from the sutras are a whole different cosmology than what we have been raised with in more modern culture but one of the sutras is about a celestial being named rohitasa and rohitasa it was said to uh, as along with all other celestial beings have a special power people who are and people who are born into what are called or celestial beings or otherwise known as devas. angels basically the being who, beings who are born into these uh, so called plane of existence of the of the angels or the devas. Uh, have much longer lives and they have a special power and special gift that they can spend years and years delighting in. And so it's a, a plane of existence where there's a lot of pleasure, and, but um, it's still, because it's a, the plane of Davis is still not a plane of liberation because uh, people still, even with all that pleasure, all that deliciousness, And all the gifts of the of whatever skill that person has, they still become somewhat dissatisfied, and they still feel like they're on a little bit of a gerbil wheel of having a pleasurable experience, then it ending, and then having to have it again, and having to have it again. Does that remind you of anyone? This is us. We're we are on this kind of wheel called the wheel of samsara. So anyway, this this celestial being named Rohitasa, his special power was to be able to walk vast distances very quickly. And in fact, he was called Rohitasa the Skywalker. And he became a little bit dissatisfied, even though he enjoyed the delight of this great power to be able to walk To you know, the um, the example used was if someone shot an arrow, he could reach the target before the arrow did. He was he could walk so quickly, and he had a bright idea because he he was a little tired of this cycle of of endlessly trying, endlessly fixing, endlessly trying to get to the end of the of the world of the stress in the mind. And he had this bright idea that he would try to walk to the end of the world. And he walked for 115 years, you know, deva time is a little little longer than our normal years. And at, at the end of 115 years, he died trying. And then he was reborn at the time of the historical Buddha And had the good fortune because he had such sincerity of heart, he wanted to be liberated, he wanted, he wanted to be free, he was somehow had the good fortune of being able to meet the historical Buddha. And he got an audience with the Buddha and he asked the Buddha, he said, "In such a such a life in this life, he was also Rohitasa, but more as in the earthly plane as a human and he said in such and such a life i was rohitasa the skywalker and i tried to you know i could walk through the sky so fast and i tried to walk to the end of the world and i died and and he said lord buddha is it possible to reach the end of the world by going there's a point to this story <laughs> all about going And the Buddha said, uh, no, you can't get to the end of the world by going. But then the Buddha said, only those who reach the end of the world become liberated. What do you do with that? But then he gave an utterance, like a pithy teaching that has gone down in history as one of the most famous teachings from the Buddha, where he said, within this fathom long body, with its senses and perceptions lies the world. I talked about that the first day, that the world is what we experience. Without this body, no world. It's not the idea of the world that we make. It's, it's, it's this experience says within this fathom long body with its senses and perceptions lies the world, lies the cause of the world, lies the end of the world and lies the path leading to the end of the world. And what he means by the end of the world, the end of the world of me and mine and what I want to happen, the endless wandering called samsara, the endless searching for a happiness that never arrives because we miss the fact that time is only and always now. And we run because of a misperception of experience experience gets reacted to and then out of those reactions there is a pressure there is a uh, there is a propulsion to think and to become someone in our mind just ask yourself right now and this is the beauty of a retreat is you get to see the dust settles a little bit and you get to sense what your experience who or what you're what you are after your la- I, I did this the other day, after your last thought has ceased and before the next one arises, you get to sense what is actually here. As who was it? Um, William, no, not William Blake. Some poet who said who you are shout so loudly i can't hear what you say because we misperceive the changing experiences we create we create identity around it and once we've created identity we we have to live that life of fixing problem solving. So rain, so being with our emotions, it's not thinking about them, it's feeling them. This is the world. And if we stay here, we both can see the way our mind creates the world, the cause of the world, we can actually see for ourselves the end of the world, to just connect with life just as it is. I looked down just now, and saw a passage from the Venerable Ajahn Chah, who was Jack Cornfield's teacher for many years in Thailand. He said about this mind, and since we're working with mind, with chitta, heart, mind and mind objects he says in truth, there's nothing wrong with it. Try that on for a moment. In truth, there's nothing wrong with it. It is intrinsically pure. Within itself, it's already peaceful. That the mind is not peaceful these days is because it follows moods. Real mind doesn't have anything to it. It's simply an aspect of nature, chitta consciousness. It becomes peaceful or agitated because moods deceive it. But really this mind of ours is already unmoving and peaceful just like a leaf which is still as long as no wind blows. Our practice is to see this original mind. So we must train the mind to know the sense experiences, the sense impressions, not to know why they're there, not to know about them, but to know them directly and not get lost in them. This brings peace. This is just, this is the aim of all this difficult practice we put ourselves through. So if you are learning how to feel in order for something to happen in order for it to go away, like, like Alan Watts says, you're not really meditating. You're you really just feeding the idea that I want to go from here to there, that something has to happen in order for me to be happy. I was talking with Ashley, who was. One of our who is who is the your back your back support who's who's sitting with us this evening, and if I can find this poem. So funny how it disappeared so quickly. We were talking about this a, a book of poetry from the ancient nuns, and I thought one would. There was one that was apropos of this conversation about just being with instead of going. I'm going to hit the mute button for one moment. Please be patient and just enjoy the, the, your original mind. Enjoy what Ajahn Chah called "budo," just the one who knows. This is from the, non, from the nun Dhamma, Dhamma For so long, I thought only of the river's end. Then one morning, I set my paddle down to watch the sunrise over the eastern hills only to find myself floating somehow gently upstream i promise it was not what i what i expected i'll read it once more for so long i thought only of the river's end then one morning i set my paddle down to watch the sunrise over the eastern hills only to find myself floating somehow gently upstream. I promise it was not what I expected. We generally are so headlong in our pursuit of happiness, our pursuit of the end of the river's end that we don't stop and experience our life and experience the floating of our presence here. The beauty of our practice is that we will continue to construct a sense of an identity who's going to solve all our problems and become the great meditator or the great whatever, or heal ourselves from all of our difficulties. Um, all our difficulties, to fix everything, we will still be able to notice all of our different identities, but instead of relating from them and feeling chronically dissatisfied, we can relate to them as mental formations, as thoughts. And we can even delight in the fact that a thought of ourself is not ourself. As one of my teachers used to say, a thought of your mother is not your mother. That was easy to understand. (laughs) But it's the same is true for ourselves. And then we can all slowly through just feeling our life, experiencing our life, we can see that there's such a difference between our life, between what we actually experience and the story that our mind tells us about it, which is often, A story of insufficiency, a story of lack, a story of suffering that we don't find in immediate and direct experience. is one of my favorite passages that I'll leave you with that we come closer to as we just connect with the sense experience, the body, the feeling tones, the moods. The thoughts and the images, just as they are, the sixth sense experience. He says if there's a difference. This is James J. Audubon, famous for the Audubon Society. He said if there's a difference between the bird and what the field guide book says. Believe the bird, and may we all uh, experience our own bird nature. Because each person here, each unique expression of life sitting here with whatever feeling is presenting itself here is indescribably, unexplainably enough. Yet the story playing through my mind is not right should be, could be. So we just slowly, just by learning how to feel, how to learning how to pay attention, how to see that none of it is myself, it's all changing. We let go, we stop clinging. Clinging to views, clinging to past, clinging to future ideas, clinging to desires, we enjoy desire we don't cling to it even joy being angry but we don't act it out we we welcome everything so let's now practice with that and see what happens sorry my chair's a little creaky tonight Thank you for listening. So remembering that rain, recognizing accepting or allowing, investigating, non-identification or non-clinging, or as Tara Brach says, nurture, just be with, without clinging or condemning. This is all not in the service of making something happen in time. It's in the service of seeing how it actually is. So all that we ever adjust in our meditation practice, and I say this at the beginning tonight, all that we adjust is the quality of our attention. We don't make any attempt to manipulate or change our experience or what it is that shows up in our mind, but more the quality of the heart, quality of the mind that meets that experience. Being aware once again of the fact that you are aware here and feeling your sitting body. And continuing, as always, to use this ever present, at least as long as we're alive, this ever present body. And its sensations and percep and senses as a support, as an anchor to this living present, this life that we are. We so just feel that. Enjoy the way Spotty breathes. Mm. Now, bringing our attention close to this sitting body brings a a calming, a harmonizing, a focus experience with sometimes called shamatha calm abiding and we just stay here we linger Whatever presents itself, we stay, we linger, we hover.
1: Sounds,
0: Other sensations, and finally moods and emotions, states of the heart happy, sad, joy, grief, delight, ease, spaciousness, contractedness. Straining, greed in the mind, aversion in the mind. Delusion, confusion in the mind. Each mental state, each mood, each emotion, we welcome it. We expand beyond any story that may be running that feeds into the emotion. We feel it through our body. Feel its quality and see what happens. Making no attempt to do anything about the experience that's being known or undo or fix or figure out. Just letting the light of attention shine on our. Presently arising experience, just this moment. As the poet Hafez said, how did the rose ever open its heart and give to this world all its beauty? It felt the encouragement of light against its being. Otherwise, we all remain too frightened. just let that light of attention be filled with the experience of body, breath, sound, moods. And of course, thoughts and images. Thoughts of self, thoughts of past, thoughts of planning, thoughts of remembering. And we relate to the thoughts as just other changing conditions. Not me, not mine, not self. Just what it is just this moment. Of course, when any experience begins to fade, is no longer predominant or compelling, it's always useful to settle back into very open and kind attention supported by the body. Justice. Noticing what's predominant right now, starting with knowing that you're aware, what you're aware of, and then how it, how are you meeting that? Is there greed in the mind? Is there aversion? Is there delusion? Are you just experiencing some mood or emotion, thought or image? Mood, just recognize it. This is sadness. Allow it, investigate its nature. How does it behave? No need to identify with it. Just recognize it as a change in condition. Not me. Not mine. Untouched sounds sensations, moods, thoughts. Everything welcome in this vast open field of non-contentious awareness, kind attention. I'm sensitive to go for the, for I'm sensitive to those for whom this is a, um, a late day and I appreciate you staying with the evening if it may be late in the eastern part of the US or in other parts of the world it may be midday I'm not exactly sure but uh, we will just a few more things to say and and just a little bit of stretch time and then we'll sit one more time just completely quietly uh, to uh, end our module. I did want to leave you with one last little piece to the, um, the Buddha's teaching. After, after he figured out, after he made that shift from being carried along by, his, uh, by that endless searching, and and carried along by i just want to back up a little bit when i read you that passage called that said um, within this fathom long body lies the world lies the cause of the world so this body with its senses it's the reaction to those our sense experience that sends us either in a reactive way or in a, in a, um, uh, a deluded way into the world of our imagination, into the world of the imagined me in time, out of the simple unfolding of the present moment, into a lifetime. If, and once we're born into that world of our imagination, if we think we are, Somehow, um, if we think we need something to make us happy, then we also are convinced that in its absence we'll be miserable. Mind shapes itself according to its beliefs, and what that does is it obscures that our true home is in being in being open, being here but our mind convinces us to go and we go around and around we go again and again to and put our our faith in experiences that give us a little deliciousness but then they pass and they leave in their wake more desire more tension and that tension produces more lifetimes of our imagination and consequently We don't spend a lot of time just embodied feeling what we're feeling we spend a lot of time planning a lot of time remembering a lot of time rehearsing a lot of time associating our well being with what's next obsessing about what's next. So the same thing the Buddha recognized. He saw that within this fathom long body with its sense with its perceptions and senses lies the world. Lies the cause of the world. Lies the end of the world, and he saw that those lifetimes that he would enter, that they that they ended. If it if it born if it's born, it dies. If it arises, it fades. And he ultimately said, "That's what Buddhas know. That's the difference between Buddhas and ordinary people, as they know whatever arises passes away." He was so freed up he was so touched by having unplugged from that endless flywheel of of thinking being able to relate to it instead of relating from it as some from a hungry ghost to little mouth and a huge stomach never satisfied he was so freed that he like many beings who let out who who have a an experience of liberation and sometimes they even even a moment where you can feel the the relief of not wanting anything other than what's here but he let out a song that's another one of the more famous utterances of the buddha and i just thought i would share it with you before we take a little uh, stretch and maybe you understand it a little more. He says, through many births, and you can think of births as these lifetimes we go through in our mind. Through many births in the wandering on, I ran seeking but not finding the maker of this house, this house of self. O house builder, you've been seen. You shall not build another house again. Your rafters are broken. Rafters, are, in this case, are considered the uh, the defilements of mind. All the the greed, hatred, and ignorance, the confusion. Uh, your rafters are broken. Your ridgepole destroyed. That's real ignorant. The ignorance of um, ignorance has been released. So no more greed. No more hatred. No more delusion. So I'll, I'll say it once more. It's a little late for me. Oh, house builder, you've been seen. You shall not build a house again. Uh, your rafters are broken, ridgepole destroyed, the mind gone to the unconditioned, to cravings cessation, to the fading away of that constant desire for things to be different than the way they are, to cravings cessation, it has come. And then at first, he was just relaxing into this, just like you relax, Huda relaxing into her Huda-ness, Brian into his Brianness. Anybody, everybody, relaxing into their into their nature rather than this idea of of dissatisfaction. He was relaxing into it, and he he realized that this is just so uh, close. It's maybe too close for people to actually recognize. It's actually too wonderful. It's actually too vast. I can't even put it in my normal vocabulary, this feeling here. And then he says, it's actually too easy. People don't realize that all they have to do is stop or just pay attention, stay where you are. And at first he said, I don't think anybody can get this. But then it said with his eye of wisdom, he saw that there were those with a little bit of dust on their eyes and if they could if they could be pointed back to their to their nature, if they could if they could um, stop this very sad, endless wandering, As Hakuin Zenji says, oh, it's how sad that people ignore the near and search for truth afar, wandering on paths of ignorance. Is this your mind here, how boundless and free is the sky of awareness He said, but anyway, he saw it there's those who with the, the little dust on their eyes, if they were pointed and. All of us, we're, I think we're those with a little dust on their eyes, and, and you've actually recognized it, and you're slowly coming home to yourself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you've ignored for another who knows you by heart. And maybe you have a little more of a taste of that now. Um, and you don't have to wait. Um, till your mind is quiet not a very reliable expectation. You don't have to wait until you're completely healed from every, every kind of suffering. You just need to be as you are and slowly, slowly, slowly stop straying away uh, into the imagined past and into the imagined future. stay here and enjoy the thoughts of the past stay here and enjoy the thoughts of the future but know that this is your medicine that nothing can make you happier than you are that all search for it elsewhere is misery the only happiness worth the name is is the happiness of being conscious of chitta being aware so just a bit of a stretch and then we'll just have a little quiet time just to marinate in the in your natural state of being aware and i'll read one more thing. Uh, actually i'll save it for tomorrow morning at 7 7am 7 West Coast time um, but. For now, please do a little stretching, very mindful. I'm gonna stretch my arms. Feel free to shake it out a little bit. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. I had meant to share this passage from a theologian and psychologist named Sam Keane. Maybe some of you have read Sam Keane over the years, but he wrote a, a wonderful book entitled Faces of the Enemy, Reflections of the Hostile Imagination. And I wanted to read this because learning how to be more emotionally articulate, being able to feel emotions, accommodate them, um, even though our purpose here is for the purpose of understanding and to to, uh, discover the nature of all feelings, of all thoughts, of all everything, There are many, many other implications and uh, effects of learning how to be more emotionally articulate. It has a huge impact on our world. And I think this, without trying to explain it, I want to just read the words of Sam Keen and hopefully it will inspire you to really slowly, slowly, strengthen those conditions that allow you to really just feel what you feel when you feel it and be able to relate to it as changing weather rather than uh, something that you need to distract yourself from or get rid of or act out in some way so here's sam Keen. to lessen the quality the quantity of cruelty and sadism we must learn to listen to the cry beneath violence the victor must hear himself in the victim's cry the winner feel himself in the humiliation of the loser so long as we can visit pain on another we need not feel our own pain anger lifts depression for a time purging our rage on a scapegoat relieves us of the feeling but the need for the cleansing of the unacceptable feelings builds up and we must plunge into a new circle of violence the only certain way out of the blind ritual of war is by learning to substitute grief for anger those who mourn the childhood love they never had who treat their own wounds tenderly learn to forgive and to break the vicious cycle of the wounded and the wounding when we are unable to confess that our own parents our own government our own styles of life have disappointed and injured us, we will inevitably create an enemy on whom we heap our anger. Every day we are not grieving is a day we will be taking vengeance. So you can substitute any kind of mood or emotion. Anytime we're not feeling what's here, we are in some ways acting it out blaming, demanding, criticizing, either internally or externally. So the emotional articulation um, quiets our hearts and felt opens up the door of compassion. So let's just bathe now in our natural state of being aware of kind, attention. If you feel like you are your attention is very stable right now, effortlessly aware, then just use the fact of being aware as your anchor tonight. And then just see what it is that pops, sounds, body, breath, moods, thoughts, just being available to each arising experience. And just settling back into the simple fact of being aware. Just being at home. Of course, if that's too much vagueness, feel free to anchor the attention in the breath. Otherwise, just be aware. And enjoy what pops. Just 20 minutes. Now is always a good time to just check the state of your mind. This is often when meditation happens, when we stop trying. I you to feel the fruits of. all the effort of orienting yourself to real time, staying here as long as as you can, knowing that we're conditioned to go out and search. But just appreciate the effects of reconnecting again and again, just being aware. I have some confidence that there has been some goodness that has arisen from our practice, some benefits, some fruits, what they call in the tradition, merit. This is considered meritorious action to practice together. I have some confidence there have been some blessings that have come. And as we do regularly, we consider that likelihood and even delight in the in the possibility that there is goodness from our practice. But then we freely, lovingly give it away. Just radiating from our hearts, minds, as widely and limitlessly as possible, impartially, inclusively as possible to all beings everywhere in all circumstances, that all those who are suffering in this world, even those who are causing suffering, we, we wish for them that their hearts be able to love. We expand our loving care in all directions and send it with a wish that everybody can be happy and peaceful and safe protected from all kinds of outer harm and all kinds of inner harm We wish for everyone to feel good health and strength as much as possible, given the limitations of our body. And we wish for all people to live with ease, to know that sacred happiness that's sorrowless here and now and never stray away from it. A deep wish that our practice today and all days be dedicated to all beings, including ourselves. May no one be left out of our circle of care. May all beings be liberated. Thanks again for your practice. And uh, as always, whatever you're doing next, uh, really it unfolds a moment at a time. So it's not any better to get to wherever you're going or whatever you're doing. It's the process itself is the point. Remember the dance itself is the point. The music itself is the point. The same is true in meditation. The point is arrived at in this little transition right now. So enjoy your evening, your day, your night, your sleep, your waking. And uh, see you at least on West Coast time. I'll be there at 7 a.m. to talk about uh, the factors of enlightenment. Anyway, take care.